This is Game Day Media. For all the latest in education and political news from around the state of Texas, visit my friends at TexasISD.com. The staff at TexasISD.com updates their site each morning with articles, commentary, and news from all over our state. If you have one site to bookmark and visit every day, it should be TexasISD.com. The Crossroads of Education and Legislation. You're listening to Largent Unfiltered with Dr. Jim Largent. Welcome everyone back to the podcast this week, and we're going to visit with one of my longtime friends in the business, uh, Rex Burks. Rex and I have worked together before. It's been, man, it's been a long time ago now, probably 20 years ago. We worked together in Queen City, Texas, remained good friends since then. Our family has remained friends, and uh, welcome Rex to the show, and why don't you start off telling our listeners a little bit about your career path and how you made it to Sims ISD. Well, I started off in uh, education in Magnolia, Arkansas, as a teacher coach. I worked there for four years. I moved back to Texas, went back to my hometown in Warren, and I was a teacher coach there for seven years. And uh, moved from Warren to Queen City, Texas, where I met you, and was teacher coach there for three years. And an opportunity to get a head football coaching job in a little school in Sims, Texas, called James Bowie, and was a head coach athletic director at James Bowie for five years. The last two years of, I was also the high school principal. And then, uh, after quitting as a, as re- resigning as an athletic director and becoming just a high school principal for two years, the superintendent position came open. I applied for that and got uh, appointed to the interim superintendent for a year and at the end of that year they hired me full time and I'm finishing my 15th year as superintendent at Sims ISD. Right. So you've been you've been superintendent there for 15 and have been there for how long total? 22 years total. Yeah. So I, you know, one thing about you, you're kind of the exception to the rule because you went to a community, you enjoyed it there and you stayed there throughout your career and you know, I know you, and I know the job that the kind of job that you do. And you could have easily made a move to larger districts, probably made more money, but uh, you decided to stay where you were and, and work in that community. And I know a lot of people really respect you for doing that. Uh, so tell us. And, and one thing I didn't mention was you and I grew up about what twenty miles away from each other. I was from Kirbyville, you were from Warren, and and we really didn't get to know each other until we uh, moved to Queen City together. So. Kind of interesting. Yeah, I don't huh? even know if you remember. I think I may have told you before, but you know, the first time I remember that you and I crossed paths, you were coaching in Woodville, and I was still coaching in Warren. Right. And uh, we ran into each other at, in a hotel at coaching school one year. This is the first time I remember meeting. You. Yeah, I do remember that. So tell it for the listener. I've got a lot of listeners that I know are from the suburbs and from the urban areas, and uh, you know, we start talking about small schools. I don't think some people realize how small some of our schools are. And so give us a little bit of uh, demographics on your school district, the numbers, kind of student staff numbers, and a little bit about the community you serve. Well, we're, we're a small rural community. We're spread out over a large area. We don't have much of a uh, town population or anything like that. 
Everything is pretty rural around here. We've got a post office, a couple of churches, and one store. Right. Here in town, we've got about 500 students, uh, pre-K through 12, and uh, our demographics about 73% low socioeconomic. And uh, but it's a nice, uh, close-knit community. And like I said earlier, it's one of those things I moved here and uh, with the idea of being a head football coach and kind of moving on in, in my career. And after a couple of years, but after I stayed here a few years, I really liked the community, thought it was a good place to raise my kids. And so staying in one place for so long had a lot to do with my kids staying in this community. And by the time they had both graduated high school, I had kind of come in, become entrenched in this community and it's home now. And uh, we're in the process of building a house here and it's where we plan to retire and stay. Right. And for people who don't know where Sims is, you're, you're up in the upper northeast corner of texas uh i guess texarkana is the largest uh town that would be close to you right yes we're about uh 30 miles west of texarkana on highway 67 said almost dead in the middle between texarkana and mount pleasant on highway 67 right so part of the the issue with this podcast this spring is to give our listeners a look at what it's like to work in these different districts and how the legislative session may impact those schools and we've talked to large school districts in Aldean and we've talked to Denton and we've talked to out in Lubbock with uh, uh, Keith uh, Bryant out there and and so I want to talk to you about the same thing because it's kind of a scale issue you know even though the numbers maybe not be as big you still have to follow the same rules as the large urban districts. You still have to fill out the same reports. You still have to follow the same protocols and make the same uh, reporting requirements to TEA. And And I don't think people really understand that just because you're a smaller school doesn't mean you have to you don't have to follow the same protocols. Everybody else does. Well, that's correct. And, you know, it's one of those things you don't have as much personnel to uh take care of all the reports and things that you have to fill out every year for the state and federal programs and things like that. But, uh, you know, we work real well together here as a small staff and try and divvy up those duties and take care of them just like they do at the other schools. We just don't have quite as much manpower to focus on one particular thing. Our people have to uh, wear more than one hat in most cases and try and get everything done just like everyone does at a big school. Right. So you don't have a director or a department for every single department. You kind of have to, like you said, divvy it up between some of your office staff there. Correct. My business manager is involved in a lot more than just being the business manager. And, you know, my principals uh, end up taking on more of a curriculum director uh, job also. And, you know, just like with me, you know, I've got to be real in-depth in everything. I'm kind of uh, the head maintenance guy, and, uh, you know, I've got to keep my eye on the finances real close. I I don't, you know, I I do have a business manager that has learned a lot. I hired her, and this was her first business manager job. And uh, over the years, I've been able to turn loose a lot of that and and rely on her a lot more. But uh, it's a different kind of place working in a small school like this. I wear a lot of hats. There's some things that I do sometimes that superintendents in uh, larger schools would probably laugh at, but yeah, you know, there are many mornings that I get a call and I have to get up and go drive a school bus, and just uh, a lot of different things you have to do to make a small school be successful. Yeah, and I, I tell people all the time, I spent my first four years in a a one A school district. We had about four hundred students, and uh, 
I wouldn't give anything for those years because I learned so much. And like you said, you have to be involved in every aspect of the school. So it's it's it was a great experience for me, and I thoroughly enjoyed my time in the small schools as well. So as as you watch this legislative session unfold, you know everybody has things that they're looking at closely, and and I'm I know finances is one of them, but. Is there something that you're really looking at that that you say, man, if this happened, this would really help our district and help our kids, or this would really hurt us if this happened? Are there are there some legislators legislation out there that that you're really paying attention to? Well, the House Bill three originally the way it was coming out of the House, I paid a lot of attention to, and I think there were a lot of good things in there. Of course, you know, Dan Patrick came out with his. Uh, idea that he was going to give all the teachers a $5,000 raise across the board. And, you know, of course, I believe teachers deserve that, and that would be great. I don't believe it's realistic, and I don't think the state of Texas can afford to give that kind of straight-across-the-board raise to teachers. So I think that's a little bit unrealistic. Some of the things in uh, the House Bill 3 I thought were a little bit more realistic, maybe giving uh, $1,800 uh, raise on the pay scale for uh, teachers, and I thought that was a little bit more doable. Also, there was some extra money thrown in there for the schools. I know about seven years ago when they cut school funding a lot, we lost about $600,000 locally. And they were talking about on one of the runs that I saw that we would get most of that money back, and it was real close to the $600,000 that we lost several years ago. And that would help us tremendously in maybe being able to help give some of our employees a pay raise and also to upgrade some of our programs and things here on campus. Uh, that was very interesting to me. You know, I was a little frustrated. I think there was a part in there, I don't even know if you noticed it or not, there was a part in there about transportation. And, you know, we heard they were going to do something to help transportation. When I got to looking at it, they just went to a straight, uh, I think it was a dollar per mile on transportation where, some districts were only getting like 65 to 70 cents per mile, so it would help them. But there were other, which we're in, we're in a co-op here in Bowie County, and all the schools in our co-op were getting a dollar and 11 cents per mile, and uh, so we're actually taking a cut in transportation that wow. hadn't had uh, an adjustment to the transportation allotment since 1983. I just I was really frustrated with that because I don't understand how you can take something like transportation that's not been addressed in funding for 30-some-odd years and all of a sudden, you know, uh, help some people but hurt others. You know, I, I would think that was something that everybody would need some help with. Yeah, you would think so. And <clears throat> we talked a lot about that this spring. Is there, it, it seems like the state is trying to paint everybody with the same brush, and they don't realize that, you know, being in Houston is different than being in Sims, and, and being in El Paso is different than being in Beaumont. And so – there, it just seems to me like the state is trying to mandate so many things that everybody's going to do the same thing without letting the local leadership, local school boards who are elected to uh, make those kind of decisions. Yeah, and it gets kind of frustrating sometimes. But just, you know, talking about the diversity in districts like Maud ISD, which is kind of our big rival in sports, but, uh, you know, they're 10 miles down the road and pretty much everything about Maud is the same as Sims, except that their district, I'm not sure exactly, but I'm going to say it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 35 square miles. Their district, and here we are right next door to them, and our district's 144 square miles. So right. there's a big difference in our districts, even though, you know, a lot of things are very similar. Yeah, exactly. 
So it looks like the the great tax swap that the governor came out with a couple of weeks ago, kind of out of the blue, that that is now dead. That's been that's dead in the House. It's dead in the Senate. And so now the House and Senate have conference uh, committee going to work to try to piece together these these two bills. And, uh, you know, do you have any thoughts on where you think that's going to end up or what would help you the, the most? to see something like the original house bill three come out but i'm scared to death right now with some other things that i've heard that you know they're going to end up needing that extra money that they supposedly had at one time needing to use it somewhere else and schools are going to get left out in the cold again is what i'm scared of yeah i think you're exactly right i think that they were thinking this tax swap was going to infuse a lot more money to the state where they could pay for some of these things. And now they're they're kind of stuck in, in the place that politicians get sometimes. They've made a whole lot of promises to a whole lot of people, and uh, now they've got to figure out how to come together and pay for it. And uh, I noticed on the Senate side, at least, they, they ran through a whole lot of amendments to the House bill that the Senate was listening to. And you know, it's really frustrating because a lot of senators who have generally been pro-public education, or at least we thought they were, uh, really voted against all of those amendments that we thought would have been really good for schools. So uh, I'm guessing they're getting a lot of pressure from the lieutenant governor on that. Yeah, probably so. You know, one of the big things to me is, you know, they were talking about uh, uh, talking about freezing uh cities and or counties freezing the uh, freezing the percentage that they could raise uh, taxes counties and for school districts and you know my frustration with that is is everyone you talk to they're not upset about the percentage of the taxes getting raised <laughs> they're upset about the percentage of their property appraisals going up every year and that's where that that's originating from and they can cap it all they want to but until they uh, freeze that percentage and how much you can raise property values from year to year, I think you're going to continue to have a problem with that and people are going to be unhappy with it. Yeah, and that's kind of a double-edged sword, too, when you think about appraisals because if if you're planning to stay in your house for 20 years, you don't want your appraisal to go up. But if you plan to sell your house, you want your appraisal to be at market value so that when you get ready to sell it, it's it's a people go down to the appraisal district and you're asking three hundred thousand dollars for your home and it's appraised at one hundred and fifty, then you got a problem. So it's kind of a double edged sword. I I think in the in the free market system, uh, you know what's the saying? It's it's worth whatever somebody will pay for it. That's really what what your house is worth. So I don't know. I'm I'm a little I'm a little concerned about putting caps on any of those things. Uh, appraisals are well, i get what you're saying but in most cases right now uh, at least in our area most people can't get anybody to pay what it's praised at really what, yeah. what the problem lies yeah and see there's another example of it just kind of depends on what area you're living in because there's a lot of er- other areas where the appraised value is not even close to what people are asking for their homes so yeah i don't know it's going to be interesting to see where all that shakes out uh, there's been some issues that, that I, I just wonder how you're affected by that have been a lot of talk about charter schools or are you affected by that at all out in Sims? No, currently we're not. We don't have, uh, hardly any charter schools up in Northeast Texas. It's not an, an issue for us. And private schools are charter schools either one. And that could change at any time, but you know, I think there's some in the Longview area 
Um, there's some in the power area, but, you know, that's still over an hour away from us. So as far as, you know, affecting our kids and our kids maybe wanting to take advantage of something like that, it's not been an issue for us at this time. Right. And what about school safety issues? I know we've gotten everything from Aldine where they do have metal detectors in their, in their, I think, middle school and high schools to other schools where they have marshals or SROs or what is what has kind of been your take on the school safety issues out in Sims? Well, you know we're a very conservative community as far as uh, our take on things, and my board has been really proactive on that part of it. And we've kind of done the school guardian program, right. where you know we train uh, certain employees, and certain employees uh, are uh, armed on campus on a daily basis. We also, you know, we have some uh, safes on campus with some firearms in them if we need to get them we can get to them pretty quickly right that kind of stuff because we're sitting out here in a rural situation and unless we just happen to get lucky when we call a deputy sheriff you know usually they're at least you know 10 to 15 minutes away if we're lucky right possibly even being longer for them to get here than that so uh, it's something that we were really concerned about and something we spent a lot of time trying to deal with and so uh, the guardian program seemed to be the best fit for us yeah sure what about the the issue with UIL? And I haven't really heard if it's if that issue is dead or not. But allowing homeschoolers to kind of cherry pick UIL activities that they want to participate in, so uh, kids could be homeschooled, but they want to play on your football team, or they want to be in your band, or they want to come up and do, you know, pick a course or two, ag or something like that. And, and again, that that was a bill that uh, I think got out of committee, but I haven't heard the latest on it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, you know, I'm an old UIL guy. I mean, I've, I'm an old coach, and and that kind of stuff is important to me. I just I think it kind of I'm sure there's there's an argument to be made that that's beneficial to some kids, and I understand that, but it's just real hard to build a team concept when you've got kids that you know the only time that you're going to see them is uh you know at practice and at game time especially in a small school like this because we're such a close-knit community but uh you know we've got rules that our kids that's here on campus have to follow to be able to participate in uh, extracurricular activities and I, it's just kind of hard for us to oversee uh the education that these homeschool kids are getting and what kind of uh, criteria that they're meeting for their grades and things like that. I just think it opens up a, a lot of questions that, that are hard to answer. Yeah, it opens up a ton of questions, I believe, and you get into eligibility issues and grades and attendance and all those kind of things, plus, like you said, the team concept. And and uh, I don't know, that, that issue has come up the last several sessions, and uh, I think it's gotten further than it ever has this year. So we will see where that ends up. Uh, you know, the big Going thing forward. I've seen around here the last few years is there are several, uh, there are several homeschool, uh, teams that have, uh, come together and they've got teams of kids for sure. And basketball is the one I've seen it the most in that there are homeschool kids that they have a coach and they, uh, have a team name and these kids for this particular homeschool all come together and practice and play basketball together. They've come to, our tournaments and things like that, it's really kind of unusual because they'll show up individually and not as a team sometimes. Right. And uh, they don't always get their whole team here <laughs> together right. sometimes either. But it is has been interesting to see that change in what homeschools are doing to try to give some kids an opportunity to have extracurricular activities. Right. We've seen that in our area as well. 
any other issues out there you're really looking at as far as legislation goes this session? Well, no, my biggest one is, you know, how it's going to affect us financially. And, you know, I, they really need to do something for the teachers and uh, our employees for their pay. But the one thing that I guess aggravates me more than anything else, you know, a topped-out teacher at 20 years, they top out and they don't get any more raises. But for the last six or seven years, every year there's been a percentage increase in health insurance, and it's a monthly increase, and it ends up, you know, chopping away at their salary and if you're popped out and you're not getting any more salary and your health insurance goes up then you're making more money this year less money this year than you made last year exactly and it's hard for teachers to survive because their paycheck is dwindling because of insurance right you're exactly right and I, like i said before they have made a whole lot of promises that they've got to figure out a way to to put some legislation into effect and pass bills that will actually do some of these things. I, I think there'll be a compromise. I think that uh, they could not get out of Austin without putting more money into schools. It will just be really how many string, strings are attached and how much money they decide to infuse into uh, public schools. But I think they, they're they at a place where they really can't afford not to do something. It's just going to be very interesting to see uh, how the conference committee if they're able to work together and come up with a plan that uh, where both both the House and the Senate can agree and actually vote something out, so that's kind of where we are. And one comment before we get through here, and I started out teaching in Arkansas. When I started out teaching in Arkansas, I was dying to get to Texas because Texas paid so much better than Arkansas, and they were ranked so much higher in the nation in teacher pay than Arkansas was. And uh, now, uh, from talking to my friends in Arkansas. Texas is lagging way behind uh, base pay for teachers behind Arkansas and uh, not doing anything to ever get there. In Arkansas, I read an article in the paper the other day that uh, Arkansas teachers are going to get a $5,000 pay raise over the next two years, and we're already behind them. So even if we did find a way to get the $5,000 pay raise, we're still going to be behind Arkansas uh, as a – that's how much our state pays yeah. teachers as a minimum starting salary. And I think just funding overall, I think we're like number 43 right now. And if they passed HB3 as written, we would move all the way up to number 35. So we're still uh, kind of behind the eight ball when it comes to funding public schools, in my opinion, anyway. Now, to me, that's embarrassing because the state of Texas, you know, I, I think is better than that. And I think we can afford to do better than that. And uh, if Arkansas can find a way to do it, I think Texas ought to be able to find a way to do it. And uh, hopefully at some point in time, we'll find some people that can get that done. Well, that's kind of where we are. Well, there's no doubt the money is there. There's no doubt it can happen. There's no doubt it can be done. I mean, the House have, has proven that the money is there and it can it can work. I think the stumbling block right now is Dan Patrick and his what appears to be a stranglehold on the Senate. And uh, is like I said before, it's very disappointing that senators who we think are pro-public education just fall in lockstep with with the lieutenant governor and and vote down amendments that are good for public schools. And and, uh, you know, he's behind all of that. So. Uh, like you say, until we have some change in leadership uh, in Austin, I think we're going to be fighting this fight every session, unfortunately. But we've got a few more days left for the session, so maybe they'll come up with something good and come up with something 
that both house the House and the Senate can agree to and and ends up being something good for school. So we'll see. Well, I've got my fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. Exactly. Uh, so where if people want to follow you or follow your school district, do you have a social media pages or Twitter accounts that they can follow? Yeah, we have uh, Sims ISD is on Facebook, and I believe we're under the same uh, hashtag on uh, Twitter. I'm not I'm not a big Twitter guy. I do do a little Facebook, but uh, our our school uh, information is usually put on Facebook pretty readily, and uh, I've got a guy that always also keeps us on Twitter. Right. So like I said, I'm not a big Twitter guy, so I can't tell you exactly what that handle is. Yeah. Well, hey, we appreciate you being with us this week, Rex, and thank you for the work that you're doing out in East Texas and and for staying in those small schools and keeping things going. I know the people there appreciate what you're doing, and uh, I know you've had lots of opportunities along the way, but you've still chosen to stay in that community and do them a great job, and, and I know they appreciate that. So we appreciate everything well, you're doing. Thank you, and thank you for keeping public education at the forefront of people's minds. Absolutely. We're having a good time doing it. Well, we will see you down the road and uh, keep in touch. All right. Thanks. This is Game Day Media.